A recent congressional hearing has stirred interest in the subject of UFOs. A few years ago, in response to a question from a listener about UFOs, Dr. Scripture interviewed his son, a Navy helicopter pilot, who offered his assessment regarding the existence of UFOs. This week and next week's programs are a rebroadcast of that interview. Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, you've been getting a lot of questions from listeners recently, and in today's program, you're going to respond to another one. Yeah, so Scott, read the question we're going to address today. Dear Dr. Scripture, I am an avid listener to your program. My family enjoys your program, and we listen on a harbor light of the Windward Station. Your answers are very insightful, and I love that they are relevant to the scriptures. Mm. In a recent article, Christopher Mellon, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence, argues that Navy pilot interaction with UFOs is nothing new. He believes UFOs exist. Is this true? what evidence in the Bible supports or denies his claim. And she includes a link to an article which included statements from Christopher Mellon. Okay, well, first, it's great to hear her whole family listens to the program. Yeah. And then secondly, on the surface, a question about the existence of UFOs may not seem to have anything to do with creation. However, I get questions about the existence of aliens or extraterrestrials rather often. And what people are wondering generally is, does the Bible, especially in the creation account, indicate anything about God creating other beings that live in outer space? And for many people, if there are other beings, they wonder if that would in some way discount the creation account or even the whole Bible. Well, it's becoming pretty common for evolutionists to claim that life on Earth came from outer space, even super-advanced aliens who seeded Earth with primitive life, which then evolved into the diversity of life that exists today. It's also the subject of a lot of science fiction movies and books. Yeah, and that idea of seeding Earth in actually other parts of the galaxy with life is called panspermia. But when people start hearing about UFOs, it may seem to some that such phenomena supports those claims about panspermia and so forth. So, to address this issue, I wanted to read what the article she mentioned said, and what I found was Mr. Mellon was in part promoting a new program on the History Channel called Unidentified. And I'm going to read some of what that article said. Quote, after a bombshell report detailing near-daily interactions with unidentified flying objects by Navy pilots in 2014 and 15, Christopher Mellon has argued that this information is nothing new, and the government needs to do something about it. In numerous interviews, Navy pilots revealed that they saw UFOs moving at hypersonic speeds, performing acts beyond the physical limits of a human crew, and emitting no visible engine or infrared exhaust plumes, unquote. Now, in the rest of the article, I noticed Navy pilots were referred to several times as the people reporting the sightings. So I thought it would be appropriate if we could get the insights of an actual Navy pilot on our program. And you know what? I was able to get a Navy pilot to come on the program today. He happens to be a very special Navy pilot. His name is Lieutenant Benjamin Luke Scripture. And yes, he is my son. Hmm. Welcome to the program, Luke. 
Thank you. It's good to be here. Luke, what we'd like to do is find out a little bit first of your flight experience as a Navy pilot. So go ahead and tell us about some of your background. So I graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy in 2008 and did a little bit of preliminary introductory flight screening training uh, just in Cessna 172, small airplane training there in uh, Annapolis before reporting to Pensacola for flight training. So as a part of uh, Navy pilot training, trained in initially in a fixed wing, uh, single engine propeller airplane, the T-34. I got selected for helicopter training. So I flew another trainer helicopter similar to what you see uh, with police or weather helicopters Mm -hmm. around. And then uh, went to do a specific naval helicopter training down in Mayport, Florida, flying the SH-60 Bravo. Mm -hmm. And later I flew the MH-60 Romeo anti-submarine helicopter. So it has a Pretty versatile mission set, but uh, the main thing is that that helicopter does is, as I said, anti-submarine. So we carry sonar equipment for tracking uh, and localizing submarines. And then also we have an airborne radar and a pretty robust communications suite that we can use for communication throughout the, the, whether it's the strike group or the battle space and tracking different contacts using our radar. So that's the gist of what I did. I did my first flying tour in Japan. I was stationed there for three and a half years. And from Japan, we would go out and operate all over uh, the Southeast Asian area, places like Korea, uh, the Philippines, Thailand, Singapore. Many of our allied nations there have have navies that we interact with and train with, uh, as well as doing operational patrols. Now, Dr. Scripture, you know, the the level of cool for your program just went up several (laughs) notches. (laughs) Did you ever have any, uh, let's say, interesting experiences when you were flying around in, in the ocean off Korea? Not specifically with Korea as far as any kind of close calls, but I mean, there were training operations and real world operations that happen quite a bit in that part of the world, not just Korea, but elsewhere. So there were some definitely exciting times or missions where we weren't really sure what we were going to find when we went to a certain place or had to go look at this contact or look at this ship and Mm -hmm. try to figure out what they're doing and either just observe or gather information. No real close calls, but yeah, definitely saw some interesting things. So now, obviously, it's not surprising that most of your flying then would be over water. You're a Navy pilot, you're over water, you're flying in the ocean. Yes, almost all of it. We're doing this program to talk about UFO sightings, and it was interesting that virtually all the witnesses that they've interviewed on this program that uh, History Channel is now doing were Navy pilots. And so is there something unique about Navy pilots that they're seeing UFOs and Air Force pilots or Army pilots aren't seeing UFOs? Why, why would it be all Navy pilots? Well, it certainly isn't all Navy pilots that make these UFO sighting reports. Um, there are many, though. You know, many pilots of various services and civilian airlines and all those things have, have seen strange things. I do think there is something special, though, about being in a really remote location out over the water. I'm familiar with the program that you're talking about, and those sightings were seemingly clustered in a time span in a certain location. And so why those were all Navy pilots could just be because that's who was present at that location at that time. However, especially at night, but even even during the daytime in certain atmospheric conditions, when you're out over the ocean, there is nothing to look at. Uh, A lot of people don't understand just how big the ocean really is. And when you're (laughs) flying out at sea, you can be at high altitude and a 360 degree view is just flat blue to the horizon Hmm. all the way around. And there's just nothing to look at and see. And so when an object does pop up in your field of view, 
it can take a moment and be difficult and maybe even impossible in certain conditions to really know what you're seeing, what that object is. Is it moving? Is it stationary? Mm. Uh, It can be very difficult to tell. And so I think that's maybe one reason why so many of the UFO report sightings happen to be from Navy pilots, because we spend almost all of our operational time out over the water, very dark. There's nothing to look at. Uh, So that's one explanation for why there does seem to be that disparity. And in the dark, it would just be pitch black everywhere. You wouldn't even be able to see the horizon then, correct? Correct. Yeah, the horizon can be difficult or impossible to see. Objects near the horizon can be very difficult to distinguish. Is that a star above the horizon? Is that a ship on the horizon? Yeah. What, What is that? Because all you have is a sea of blackness and then that one little point of light and that can even be on night vision goggles. A lot of, you know, very few people have experience with night vision goggles, but we fly a lot wearing those devices. Huh. And even, even with those, when there is no light, when it's just dark nighttime, maybe overcast or maybe just, or no moon, it can still, depending on the atmosphere, be very dark. And you just, instead of seeing black, you see dark green with a tiny point of light. And that you would... still can't distinguish. So, so I don't know if any listeners might ask, well, what about night vision goggles? They're a pretty powerful tool, but they don't just turn nighttime into daytime. So even in that scenario, uh, it can be very difficult to distinguish what an object is, where it is, where is it moving, is it moving? Those types of situations would explain why you have to rely so heavily on so many complex instruments that are a part of that aircraft. Absolutely. You have to refer and rely on those instruments, even if you think you know what you're seeing. We're trained extensively to continually cross-check do my instruments agree with what I think is happening? Yeah. Because you can get disoriented pretty easily, especially in those very dark or poor weather environments when there's nothing to look at outside. You have to rely on those instruments. Now, you and I had talked before about when there aren't any points of reference and your brain is trying to make sense of something. Your brain will even make something up. Explain what you were talking about when we were discussing that. Yes, your brain wants to maintain orientation. As humans, we are designed and programmed to orient ourselves in space relative to the surface of the earth. Wait, 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 Luke, you said designed, like like you don't think that we just evolved all these abilities? You think that (laughs) that somebody made us that way? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. In my my time studying the the physiology of the human body, you didn't talk about what I'm doing now, Dad. So I'm a Navy helicopter pilot, but I'm also an aerospace physiologist. My primary role now is training Navy, Marine Corps, Coast Guard pilots, naval flight officers and air crew to be prepared for the physiological effects of flying. Mm -hmm. So in the lead up and training that I've been doing for that in the extra study, there's no denying that our our bodies were were designed by an incredible engineer to to be (laughs) perfectly honed, to respond to varied environments, to respond to forces that people don't even expect to realize when they were learning to fly. They were encountering all kinds of forces and things that no one had ever experienced. You know, pulling G's is not something that we do any other time except for those extreme accelerations of a fast-moving aircraft. So so absolutely, we were designed. So we're going to have to stop there today. 
In our next program, we'll continue our interview with Lieutenant Scripture to learn how our brains cope with situations where there are no reference points to help orient our perception. And we'll find out if he'd ever encountered a UFO and what he thinks about what other pilots have seen. Well, Dr. Scripture, that's quite a tease for next week. (laughs) I wish we could hear the rest of what Luke had to say right now. But having said that, you must be extremely proud of your son. Yes, I sure am. And yet the most important thing I can say about Luke Scripture is he believes what Scripture says concerning the person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And yes, even what Scripture says about creation. Now, does Scripture say anything about UFOs or even aliens from outer space? Well, I don't mean to make light of this, but when you read what Ezekiel described in the first chapter of his book, one might claim he saw a UFO. However, it's not a UFO because Ezekiel identifies it clearly as a manifestation of the Almighty. But if something like that phenomenon was seen from a distance, maybe it would look in appearance like what some observers have described as UFOs. But that's pure speculation, and we should not get carried away imagining what such things might be. But to answer the question, are there extraterrestrial creatures in the universe? Absolutely. Mm. The Bible calls them angels, (laughs) and this is what it says about them in Hebrews chapter 1. Quote, For to which of these angels did he ever say, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee? And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. And that's not what I say. That's what scripture says.